Good morning. If you could turn with me to either page 949 in the Pew Bibles, the blue Pew Bibles, or to Ephesians, actually it would and be Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 to 20. And if you have that now, then let's read that together. Ephesians 5, 15 to 20. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we come before you now, and Lord, I would ask that, that I and everyone here would respond to the leading of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would glorify you in all that is said and all that is done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So no one wants to be thought of as foolish. There are many things that we don't like to be called, but being called foolish is probably one of the worst. Because to be called a fool is basically to be called meaningless, irrelevant, out of touch with reality. We really don't like being called foolish. So when we hear the text today tell us not to be foolish, but to be wise, I think most of us probably already have a good idea of what camp we're in. You know, maybe we can add a little bit more wisdom, but, you know, generally, we like to think we're pretty wise. And I am no different, which is why I really don't like having to admit that I spend a good part of my life acting foolishly. Now, I want to clarify, I, I don't get drunk on wine or, or any other substance actually. But just because I don't do that doesn't mean that I'm always acting wisely. It doesn't mean I'm making the most of every opportunity. Or, or as the Greek says, redeeming or buying back the time. Because I'm not. And how do we do that anyway? How, how do we be wise and how do we make the most of every opportunity? And what opportunities are we talking about? You know, to understand that, we, we have to know what the situation is. We have to have a good grasp of reality. Now, I think most of us have probably been in school, and some of us already, I mean, some of us are now in school. Just so picture this, very common. You have a test coming up. The whole class believes it's on chapter four. You know, people are thinking about chapter four for the test. And then 
the class right before the test, the teacher says, no, 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 it, it's on chapter five. No, 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 it, it's always been on chapter five. But if, if you miss that class and you don't know it's on chapter five, things aren't going to go very well. But you know what, it's not just knowing that it's on chapter five, you actually have to study chapter five. You have to actually live according to that reality. You know, another example is, uh, let's say the stock market. You know, the stock market is going up and up and up. Everyone says, you know, now's the time, put, put your money into it. In fact, a friend says, you know, even if you don't have any extra money to invest, sell something, just sell anything you can to get money, put it in the, in the stock market, it'll go up, you can sell it, you can buy back what you sold and have lots left over. But imagine that this is all happening in September of 1929. Now, some of you were not around then. <laughs> it's, it's a little murky in my memory as well. But that was right before the greatest stock market crash there's ever been and the Great Depression. So any money that you invested, you would have lost completely. So, you know, to act wisely, we need to understand what reality is. Now, some of you might be saying, no, okay, hold on just a sec. Okay, that first example makes sense because we can understand what the test is on. We can find out that information. But you can't know the future. People didn't know the stock market crash was coming. But actually, we do know the future. God's made it very clear what is going to happen. So verse 15 in chapter 5 says, be careful, very careful, then. And the word then is just like the word therefore. It points to what was coming before that. And what happens in Ephesians before this is reality is laid out for us. Not only reality now, but reality in the future. Reality now, as Ephesians chapter 1 says, is that we have forgiveness through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ through His blood. He has been raised from the dead, He's been glorified, and He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and He's been given authority over everything. That is reality right now. Reality in the future is that everything is going to happen according to God's plan. And God's plan is to unify everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. All things were created through Jesus. They're all created for Jesus. And the point of all creation is to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to bring Him glory. And all of history is focused towards a point in time when God will exercise His supreme power and bring everything under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say all of history, I don't just mean, you know, kind of large-scale politics and international events. Yes, that's part of it. But every single one of us, every aspect of our lives, everything is going to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And every aspect of our lives 
can only be understood with reference to that point in time when Jesus Christ will be revealed as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, this reality alone is not necessarily good news because a holy, righteous, and powerful God getting rid of all the evil in creation is not good news if we've aligned ourselves with evil. And that's exactly what we've all done. We have all aligned ourselves ourselves with evil when we have sinned. But if we are in Christ Jesus, and by in Christ Jesus, I mean if we believe that he died for our sins and rose again, we trust him for forgiveness, we turn from our sins, we follow him and obey him as our Lord and Savior. So then if we are in Christ Jesus, God has raised us from the dead, as chapter 2 says in Ephesians. We were dead, and God raised us to life. Dead people can't do anything for themselves. God did that for us through grace, by faith, and faith is also a gift of God. It's all His doing. We are alive if we are in Jesus Christ. And it's not just that we're alive. I mean, that's amazing enough. But if we have turned to God by faith and turned away from our sin, then we've been brought into God's family. We've been brought into His household. We have been given riches in the heavenly realms that are so great, we cannot even understand them without supernatural help. We don't deserve it. But if we are in Christ, we share in the inheritance of Jesus Christ as God's Son. These facts change everything. So these facts are not just something additional that we add on to all the other information that we have that we use to navigate through life. We don't just add this on to our existing body of knowledge. It's the single most important fact about life, about your life, about my life. And to be wise, we need to understand it and live as if it were true. Verse 18 in chapter 5 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And the word translated as debauchery it, it can be translated as dissipation. It, it, the Greek really means wastefulness. It's like just pouring something valuable down the drain. Ephesians 4, in the previous chapter, Ephesians 4.17, talks about not living as unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. Their actions are futile. They, they arise from futile thinking. And everything that's not done with the end point of history in mind, is futile. It comes to nothing. You know, I'm a believer, but there are, there are times when I think the way the world thinks. You know, there are times when a hobby becomes more important to me than it should. Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself, 
in fact, we need to take some time to, to refresh and recharge. There's nothing wrong with that. But when I start to order my days around that, when that starts to become one of my main purposes, I've lost touch with reality. I'm not living according to the most important facts about the world, about God, about who I am, about what, called, what God has called me to do, what He's called all of us to do. Or when I'm focused on myself and not living a life of love, not living in unity with others, not living in humbleness, I'm not living as someone who's wise. But you know, this thinking and this behavior, it's, it's not foolishness in the world's eyes. I mean, really, if, if this universe is just something that happened, that blew up by chance, just came into existence uh, by chance, and, and we are nothing but a random assortment of chemicals that happened to be combined in a way that somehow consciousness developed, and, and therefore there's no purpose and meaning to the universe or our lives, then it makes complete sense to just live for ourselves and, and just grab as much pleasure as we possibly can. If Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, which means that we will not be raised with him also, then the smartest thing to do, as Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, is to say, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If reality is not as God has declared it to be, then it makes no sense to keep yourself sexually pure or to sacrifice to love other people or to live humbly. And clearly, the last line in our passage doesn't make any sense at all either. Give thanks for everything? Really? Every possible thing that can happen to us? What about if you're beaten for no good reason? What about if you're thrown in prison for no good reason? Or worse yet, both at the same time. Is it possible to live thankfully and joyfully in that situation? Actually, it is. Because it happened to Paul and Silas. In Acts chapter 16, when they were in Philippi, they were beaten with rods. Then they were thrown into a cold, uncomfortable prison. They were chained in the prison. And in this situation, they were praying and singing hymns to God. They had severe bruises. They were in pain. They didn't know if they were going to die there. They had no idea how long they were going to be in prison, but they were praying and singing. This seems impossible. Some might even say it's foolish and out of touch with reality. What were they thinking? Actually, I think a better question would be, what could possess them to do this? What could possess them to do this? Because what Paul and Silas were doing went way beyond just a human effort to try to be upbeat 
This was not just looking at the bright side of life. They were literally joyful. It wasn't the power of positive thinking. Now, don't get me wrong, positive thinking is great. If we ever have the choice between a positive outlook and a negative outlook, let's always choose the positive. But what was happening inside Paul and Silas in this situation, and what our passage in Ephesians is talking about, is not just a mindset. This is the supernatural power of God. You know, Paul and Silas understood reality. In fact, they were the only ones in the prison who understood reality. And they understood it only because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So in Ephesians chapter 1, after the writer explains the amazing things that God has done for us and blessed us with, there's a prayer that people would be given a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they could know God better and that they'd be actually be able to understand, to really understand the hope that we have in Christ, the power that God has put inside of us as believers, the inheritance that we have, to understand it. And then again in chapter 3 of Ephesians, there's another prayer along the same lines. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Something that surpasses knowledge is not knowable. That's why Paul's praying that we would have power to know what is impossible to know on a human perspective. And he prays this, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we do not have power to grasp what is really true. I mean, really grasp it, so that we act on it. Paul and Silas, understood what Christ had done and what it meant for them. They knew the love of God by the power of God. And it's the same power, it's the same Holy Spirit that we are called to be filled with now. So if you don't know what happened to Paul and Silas, so while they're in the prison, they're singing hymns, the prisoners are listening to them, and they're probably just completely stunned at what is happening. While this is going on, there's an earthquake, and everyone's chains fall off, the prison door flies open, and the jailer, who is asleep, wakes up, looks at the door, and thinks that someone's escaped, and so he's about to kill himself, because he knows that if he loses even one prisoner, he will be executed. And then Paul does something again that really is not explainable in, human, in the human realm. Instead of just letting that happen and, and everybody going free, which, which you could imagine him saying, that would be just, I'm not even supposed to be here. Instead of doing that, he calls out, he says, no, don't harm yourself, we are all here. And the result of this is that the jailer 
comes before Paul and Silas and falls trembling in front of them. He trembles in front of them. He basically has the power of the Roman Empire behind him to keep them in jail. He was scared of being killed by the Roman Empire. But he realized that the power of the Roman Empire was nothing compared with the power of God that he saw in Paul and Silas. And the jailer and his whole household came to faith. So chapter 16 in verse, in, sorry, verse 15 in chapter 5 says to make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Paul and Silas made the most of their opportunity right in the middle of evil, right in the middle of undeserved pain and suffering. And that's what God wants us to do as well. Of course, none of this is possible without the power of the Holy Spirit. But when we are filled by Him, and we are controlled by Him, we can do this. We can bring the light of God into situations that are dark. In times that are given over to evil, we can redeem the time. God actually can redeem the time through His power working in us. And this is God's will. So verse 17 says, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 19 says very clearly what God's will is. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, please understand, this does not mean that we don't grieve. The Bible is very clear that there is a time to weep. And when we have lost a loved one and we are in pain, it is absolutely appropriate that we grieve and we mourn. And when Jesus came across someone in the New Testament who was, who was weeping and mourning, he never, ever said that you should stop weeping or mourning. In fact, he often entered into it with them and he wept with them because God, our mighty God, is a wonderful counselor and he wants us to bring our pain to him and he understands our pain. But as a general rule for, for our lives, when we aren't in those, in those situations, as a general rule for our lives, He wants us to sing psalms and hymns and songs of the Spirit. Scripture set to music. Learn, learn Scripture and, and put it to music or, or learn songs that are based completely on Scripture. Spontaneous songs of the Spirit. The Spirit will give us these songs. Let's make music in our hearts to the Lord as verse 19 says. That's what Paul and Silas were doing. That's what I want to do. Now you may say, I, I really don't want to be beaten with rods. 
I, I don't want to be put in prison. I actually don't even want anything remotely like that. And I don't blame you because neither do I. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants pain. But what about the unbelievable joy that Paul and Silas had? What about knowing deeper and deeper inside you the love of God? More and more, deeper, down into our very bones. What about living a life that is so full of meaning because our lives are given over to the God who created us and loves us and we're being transformed more into his image and so our lives are becoming more and more in line with his purposes, his purposes which are never thwarted, never fail, they last forever. What about living a life of that kind of meaning? What about having God? As we sang, God Almighty, the great I am, the creator of heaven and earth, putting his spirit inside of us, filling us with the fullness of himself, full of joy, so that no situation, nothing, no one can take away that joy. That's what I want. Now, God may or may not ask us to go through what Paul and Silas did, but it will be worth going through whatever God has for us because ultimately what he has for us is himself. He wants to continually give himself to us. You know, the verb that says, be filled with the Spirit, it's, it's not a one-time event. The, the tense means continual filling. Be continually filled with the Spirit, which means being controlled by the Spirit, speaking to one another, another with psalms, hymns, songs of the Spirit, singing and making music, in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for everything. This kind of joyful living, this joyful praise, is a result of being filled with the Spirit. Who, who wouldn't want that? So it's a result, but you know, in a way, it's also a cause. Because as we do these things, as we worship, whether we feel like it or not, we open ourselves up to God. That's what we do when we come here to worship. We're giving praise to God, and as we do, we, we are being changed. So we may come not feeling completely aligned with reality, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. We, we may not feel completely in tune with God's truth. But when we come here or privately, when we declare what reality is, when we sing and make music in our hearts to God for who He is and what He's done for us and what He's given us, 
And as we yield to Him and praise Him and ask Him to fill us, then He will fill us. And when He fills us, then that praise and that joy will overflow. What God has done through Jesus and what He is doing and what He's going to do in creation, making everything new, a new heaven, a new earth, everything working completely as, as all of us know deep down inside of us, all of us know it should be. Everything will be right. What God is doing is overwhelming. It's the defining truth of our lives. And His will for us, His good, glorious, and perfect will is that we redeem the time, grabbing every opportunity to rejoice and praise Him in times that are evil, in times that do not accept the authority, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So may we yield to God every part of ourselves, submitting completely to Him, continually seeking the filling of the Holy Spirit, letting Him redeem the time through us as we sing and make music in our hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.